You're listening to the Cowboy Talk Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Justin Sharp, joined by co-host Chad Waldron. Hi, Justin. Good to be back on the air. And today's special guest, Oregon FFA CEO, Sean Dooley. Good afternoon, everybody. So I want to again mention that we're in a new recording area. We're in the attic of the shop now instead of the classroom, and it sounds much better. It, it sounds a lot better, and we did clean out the three dead mice that we found on the floor up here because we don't use this room very often. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Your audience is getting smaller. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So uh, let's go ahead. I don't. Well, actually, we do have a little bit of news this week. Uh, we have uh, sports schedules. So on Monday, we have middle school sports practices on October 26th and November 9th, October 19th, November 2nd, and November 16th. On Tuesdays, we have high school fall sports practices, that is football, cross country, and volleyball. On Wednesdays, we have winter sports practices, that is basketball and wrestling. And on Thursday, we have high school sports practice or high school spring sports practices, which is track and field and baseball. Morning, Mr. Dooley. Uh, winter has arrived. You can keep it there for a little bit longer. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm not ready for snow, I don't think. So let's go ahead and get into our interview with Mr. Dooley here. So if you want to go ahead and introduce yourself. Well, I am Sean Dooley, and I came to the Oregon FFA as CEO uh, 18 months ago after six years doing consulting for U.S. pet product manufacturers and some international pet companies who wanted to get their product introduced to the U.S. pet market. I tell people that I killed dreams for six years because I would tell people not to take out a mortgage on the house because the world didn't need another blue dog bowl. (laughs) Um, I also have done some training internationally. And when I was offered this job, I was actually in a hotel in Azerbaijan. So uh, I've had some travel experience, but prior to that, I spent 20 years with a pet product manufacturing company doing sales and marketing and product development primarily. And I'm married. I do live in Bellingham, Washington, which is 30 minutes from the Canadian border. Uh, I have a daughter who works at the Brookings Institution in Washington, D.C., and a son uh, who does property maintenance and yard care. So you would say that you're very business-oriented. I came from a business background, absolutely. Now, I trained to be a high school ag teacher. Uh, Unfortunately, there were only four openings in the state the year that uh, I graduated, and I went to work for Purina and have been in uh, sales and marketing and product development capacities since then, uh, the last 20 years or so with a pet company here in Bellingham. I see. So what what exactly is your education background? Is it just ag teaching, or do you have a little bit of business schooling in there, too? Well, I was a double major at Oregon State uh, back in the day where it took an extra year to get the second degree. And I have a degree in ag education and one in agricultural and resource economics from Oregon State. And uh, when we do trivia uh, events or get-to-know-you activities for the state officers on campus, I tell them that they can find my name or picture three places in the Memorial Union building on campus. And they didn't know the building was that old. <laughs> hey, the other thing we always we always uh, put a shout out to uh, AGR. Will you uh, do you have any uh, connections with AGR when you were at Oregon State? I knew several AGR members, but I was in a house that was uh, three houses closer to Monroe Street. I lived on Twenty Sixth Street, uh, where the AGR house is, but I uh, I wasn't a member there. But I do know 
Plenty okay. of good friends at right. work. Did you hear they they tore down the chicken house is what I heard last year. Yeah, they tore down the old, you know, it was an old chicken barn they converted, and I guess they finally tore it down because they condemned it. That's a story I've missed. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll have to catch up with you on that one. Yeah. So were you an FFA member in high school? I was. I'm a proud member of the Dayton FFA chapter, which is kind of interesting because this year's state president, Grace Adams, is from Dayton as well. And uh, uh, she told me that she walked down the hallway of Dayton High School and saw my picture in the composite class or the class composite uh, hanging in the year. So, yes, I was an FFA member um, at Dayton, uh, was involved in primarily leadership activities like the Creed and the public speaking and Parley Pro, because those were the only ones we had back in the day, but did livestock judging and, and uh Dairy judging in soils, did a little mechanics, really bad welder, but I was pretty good electrician, uh, some things like that. Um, the one thing that I tell members, and I think it's, it's important to all your listeners who are wonder about what we do in Ag Ed and FFA, I remember the time I was eighth high individual in livestock judging at the Clatsop County Fair. I can't remember anything else about that fair, uh, but I can tell you the time that uh, I broke a class because I did recognize some of the uh, deformities in a dairy cow. You're not supposed to have five teats. Uh, some yep. of the deformities on a, a breeding gilt, you're not supposed to have inverted nipples. <laughs> uh, so I've learned more by the times I crashed and burned in those career development events than, than the ones that I, I, I won. And I think that's important for all FSA members to remember. It's, it's a learning process. It's not an award winning process. Yeah, I would agree. So, uh, did you ever get into any officer or leadership roles in FFA? I was a state officer. Oh, okay. Uh, I was a state officer and, and, uh, I'm still a good friend with some of those folks. I, uh, competed at the national level in the public speaking contest and i have my american ffa degree or american farmer degree is what it was called then back in the day it was um i was one of six american farmer degrees awarded that year and our state officer team has the distinction that five of the six of us uh, got our American farmer degree and that's significant because back in the day it was more of a competitive event than, than, um, one where there were certain uh, requirements to be met and, and then received the award. Yeah, that's quite a caution. Most uh, students don't realize what the process was like 15, 20 years ago. Who was the ag teacher? I know that, you know, Mitch Coleman's been there for the last 20, 25 years. Who was the ag teacher back when you were going through the program? My ag teacher was Harold Morgan, and uh, had the good fortune of catching up with Harold at the past uh, ag teacher's uh, barbecue at the state fair, uh, would have been a year ago, August. Uh, he still lives in the Dayton area, and the fun thing for me is I was doing some landscaping for my in-laws in Corvallis and went out to a local um, uh, nursery and uh, was asking some for help on plant selection. And this, the, the kid helping me looked really familiar, and he just had a mannerism about him. And so I asked his name, and it turns out it was my ag teacher's son who uh, went on and worked in Corvallis and was helpful in designing a, 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 a landscape plan for my, my, my parents. So uh, it's a small world, and, and the Oregon ag community is, is well-connected. Yep. 
So you said you were out of country when you uh, got the job offer and took the job as Oregon FFA CEO. Can you on a do you want to elaborate on how that kind of came to be? Well, actually, it's an FFA connection. Um, uh, somebody that I knew when we were in high school through the FFA, he and I were both involved in student government at Oregon State, went our separate ways and kind of kept in contact over the years. When I retired from uh, the pet product company, he reached out to me and, and said that he uh, had been doing some training on exporting and trade shows and export readiness around the world and he needed help because he was going to go to Kazakhstan for 16 days and he said I can't talk that long so asked me to come along and we built out uh, uh, 20 hours of training that we presented to the uh, a governmental agency in Kazakhstan that got me started in doing some international work for his company um, and uh, so I was doing a project for his company on export readiness in Azerbaijan when uh, we finished up the interviews and I was offered this job. So I know that uh, John Jeans did a lot of work in Kazakhstan. Did you have any, was was that same part of the program? Did you work with uh, Mr. Jeans? Not at all, but I certainly uh, I had a chance to visit with him a little bit uh, at, at that, that same past uh, ag teacher's barbecue um but that's the one thing that's interesting about agriculture there are a lot of career opportunities for people uh early on or later on to use the uh the skills uh, and the, the teaching ability and the technical information that they learn because food and agriculture are universal and they are one of uh, one of few a very few things that connect people around the world uh, regardless of of politics, language, or culture. Yep, that is very true. Uh, so what is your favorite part of Oregon FFA in general, not necessarily as a CEO, but just as somebody who went through the program and became a state officer? And also, what would you like to see or change? What do you, do you like to see change or improve? Well, uh, I think one of the things that is uh fun and enjoyable and hopeful for anyone who's around FFA members is they generally are interested in and engaged and they're passionate about something. And that's all any parent or community member can hope for is that young people find a, a reason for being, find something that they're passionate about and then develop the skills to go be successful as community members and as employees. And we see that time and time again with, with uh, um, FFA members uh, with a wide variety of interest, finding a home in the FFA. So that's the part that's fun for me, encouraging uh, for me, and something that we should all be real hopeful uh, about uh, when we when we read the news and get discouraged about other things, some of the things that I think that that I'm uh, hopeful for for the FFA um, is that we can't lose focus on two things. One is that it all starts with production agriculture, and unfortunately, most of our FFA members won't have the opportunity to go back to a farm somewhere. But understanding production agriculture, how plants, uh, animals, 
soil, natural resources work uh, is important, even if your interest is going into sales or marketing or being a finance person or being an entrepreneur, you have to know where your food comes from and how all those scientific pieces fit together. The other thing that I think is important is we need to keep focus on uh, job readiness. We get excited about the career development events that uh, we have the opportunity to participate in, whether it be uh, soils or livestock judging or floriculture or uh, an ag business management event. Um, but it's not about the awards and it's not about winning the contest. It's about this being a skills assessment. Uh, if, if, if you as your team do well at a statewide event, a lot of times there's one or two points separating the top two, three, four teams. And the thing that I think that um, FFA members we need to remember, community members need to remember, is it's not about the blue banners. It's about what does that represent? Do, did you develop skills that say, I am ready to go to work or go on to further education to be ready to work? Uh, and do I know things? Have I learned the skills that are appropriate for today and what industry needs? And the example I'll give you is um, in our ag mechanics career development event, one of the thing, one of the sections that we rotate through because mechanics is so wide, we don't test everything every year. But on a three-year rotation, we will have something around plumbing. Well. Back in my day, it was all about can you sweat fit a pipe? Can you braze copper pipe? Well, I hope today that we are learning in the classroom and testing uh, through our career development event. Um, can Do you know what the tools are that are used in plumbing with PEX? It's glorified garden hose. But if you call out a uh, plumber today to plumb a new house, He's not coming with a truckload of copper pipe. He's coming with plastic. We need to make sure that our career development events are uh, assessing ability, the ability of our students to, to use the tools, the language, the technology that's appropriate for that career event and that industry so that we can look at people in the uh, um in the stakeholder community that are going to potentially hire FFA members and say, yes, they're learning the, the, the skills that you're going to want them to have when they come to work for you. I think that is a very, very good message. And I get irritated and grumpy when I hear ag teachers and students and even parents uh, use the word contest because we don't have contests. We have career development events. We have field trips. And I, I think that's a very good message you just gave there that that we do this stuff not to win banners. In fact, if I was king for the day, I'd probably get rid of banners altogether. <laughs> well, as the budget guy, that would save me a few dollars. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, I, I also know that it was uh, fun back in the day when uh, we worked hard and, and got a banner as a, as, as a reward. But it really is, are you ready to go to work? And do you know, uh, do you have the skills that somebody wants you to have? And the thing that is beautiful about the FFA is the career development events are all about the technical side and then our leadership development events and the activities, whether it be you're on a committee to plan 
um, you know, some uh, community service project or you're in the parliamentary procedure or public speaking. Those are developing all the skills that you need to be a critical thinker and a good partner, a good worker who asks good questions, does your job, shows up on time, leaves your baggage at the door and leaves your cell phone in the pocket. Every time I speak to an adult group uh, at a banquet or something and I use that cell phone in the pocket thing, I always get applause and laugh. But uh, (laughs) those are things that I hope all FFA members uh, are learning uh, in everything that we're involved with. Me and and Justin just checked our phones to make sure they were on silent. (laughs) Good reminder. Yeah, right after you said that. (laughs) Don't we all? Don't we all? Yeah. Uh, so more specifically about your job as Oregon FFA CEO, um, what does that job necessarily, like, what does it consist of and how has it changed since the pandemic began? Well, now you're asking a lot of questions. The, yeah. the, the first one is the CEO really is 70% a fundraiser for the Oregon FFA Foundation because unlike when I was an, a member and the state of Oregon through the Department of Education, provided all the funds for FFA, FFA activities and the staff. Since 2011, uh, we have depended exclusively on private funding from the Oregon FFA Foundation to let the association do its work, do all the programs that we think of uh, when we think of students wearing blue jackets. Now, Yes, House Bill 2444 helped uh, with with money coming from the state of Oregon uh, in the 2019-2021 biennium. There is money from the state. We're very grateful for that because it provides for the staff members that um, do the programming and allowed us to hire a leadership development coordinator to to help build out a whole leadership continuum and some toolkits that local FFA chapters and advisors can use to to teach leadership skills in the classroom. And without forethought, we just got lucky. A lot of those tools work very, very well in today's virtual environment. Uh, but a um, uh, large, large portion of our support around programs like the state convention, the state fair, state officer travel and whatnot still comes from the FFA foundation. So my job is to be chief fundraiser, both with corporate partners, but with individual donors and with uh, people who want to remember us in their estate planning um, and planned gifts. The other part of my job is administrative Uh, We have three legal entities that make up Oregon FFA, the student-facing Blue Jacket FFA Association that's run by Lee Letch with Dr. Layla Graves and Jonelle Futrell, and then we have the Oregon FFA Foundation, which is the fundraising arm. Uh, Krista Carlin works over there as our stewardship officer, and then we have the Alumni and Supporters State Council who really help facilitate uh, local alumni think of booster club activities the local alumni as you know oftentimes are the ones helping with fundraising for local events so kids can go to a, a a judging trip or or go to the state convention but they're also the the mentors the chaperones the people that help prepare 
uh, as technical experts, both classroom instruction and prepare for career development events. So my job is kind of some of the nuts and bolts, the boring things like uh, annual plans and budgets and insurance and staff development uh, for those three entities and the, and the, the staff people that, that run the FFA. Yeah. How has the pandemic affected your job or has it very much? It has affected it a great deal in that uh, staff until very recently have all been working remotely. Now we have a couple people back at the FFA office on the Oregon State campus because we have the state officers at OSU so that they can be in a bubble and they can have good Wi-Fi access because they are broadcasting, if you will, uh, to schools across the state. Um, but it's changed a lot because the staff has been working remotely and checking in with people to make sure that just from a mental health standpoint and in isolation that we are still all working together and that people are taking care of some, themselves. That's been important. The other thing is that uh, there are a number of our business partners who have had uh, significant impacts on their business and have had to step back from their financial support to the FFA and that makes a big difference in our budget, readjusting budgets, changing uh, uh, priorities on spending, um, trying to develop new partners to replace those dollars. Um, and that is much, much more difficult in a remote environment, especially if your fundraising model is required, has depended on face-to-face -face interaction, both to say thank you and to solicit new funds and develop new relationship with, with new potential partners. Yeah. So I know I'm missing FFA big time just because we haven't had events in a long time and talking about it here is about the only thing that I get to do with it uh, right now. So where do you see the future of Oregon FFA in the short term due to the pandemic and in the long term, once we're back to what we think is going to be our normal lives, uh, what do you think is going to happen then? Well, the thing that I want everybody to remember is that to date, we have not canceled a single statewide career development event or activity. We've had to change them dramatically, but we haven't walked away. Ag teachers and our state staff are very resilient, very creative, and willing to learn and try. Yes, we had public speaking events, that were held over Zoom. That's kind of clunky there. It's not the same at all, but we still gave students the opportunity to, to practice their speaking skills and share a message that they had researched and written and prepared. Uh, we have uh, substituted pictures of tools and diseases and, and uh, plant materials uh, instead of live specimens so that we could continue with some sort of nursery and landscape event or a crops uh, event uh, so that people could practice the skills that they've learned, demonstrate their competency, that type of thing. To date, we haven't canceled anything. And the, and the good thing that has come out of this thus far is there are some skills that ag teachers have developed. There's some uh, there are some new techniques in teaching and in learning that we're going to keep. Even if you could go back to class tomorrow, uh, there are some tools that we will continue to rely upon. But the other thing is just thinking in the longer term, um, instead of being in a panic mode and saying, well, this is the best we can do, 
staff and ag teachers are thinking, what will this look like if we are still in a remote environment a year from now? And that allows us to have um, videos instead of pictures. It allows us to send out workbooks and kits for a leadership uh, training event. So it's not a one-way picture across the Zoom screen. It is uh, hands-on manipulatives. Do this activity with the things that you have around your house. Um, uh, you know, I would encourage the, your, your listeners who are alumni and parents and friends, the community members, to, to be thinking about that for ag teacher who's saying, how am I going to keep people engaged when they can't get their hands dirty? They can't go to the shop or the nursery. And the one thing that comes to mind is – you know, if you are a local community member and you're you need to build some some fence, um, let your ag teacher know. It may well be that you have three, four, five uh, high school students come out and say, "Show me how to make a barbed wire fence," or "Let me hammer some nails," uh, because there are always community opportunities activities at home we can continue to learn it just looks and feels differently and if all of us think about who could benefit from what i'm doing right now who could i share my little bit of expertise with uh, i think we'll all come out of this uh, stronger wiser and more creative down the road long term um you know, if you turn the light switch on and we were back to a normal event, I think we're still going to use some of the technology that we've had to use for things like uh, communication and scoring events and and uh, uh, making it more real world, even when it comes to an interview. Uh, there's a lot of people that have interviewed over uh, some sort of digital platform before and will continue to do so going forward. So it may be that part of our uh, job interview career development event, maybe part of that's live, but maybe part of it is continues to be digital because that is a real world experience, for instance. Yeah, which is probably a good thing because, I mean, it, as much of a pain in the butt this is, it's going to help a lot in the future and we have all this new infrastructure over tech to help us. Yeah, I we have done a lot of ear, interviewing for positions at the school, Justin, and all of them are on Zoom. So uh, students better figure out how to talk to a camera and how to do that kind of stuff. It is a real-life skill, and it's not going to go away. Yeah. Mr. Dooley is absolutely correct. Yeah, I completely agree. I did notice I, we were talking about Mr. Waldron and I because we were kind of bummed that there wasn't a district soils competition here in the Central Oregon District, but we did see that the state soils competition did get moved to spring, right? It has been postponed. We That is a, an event that is important and fundamental for everything else we do. Yes. And, and a lot of people really enjoy that. So we didn't want to cancel it. We moved it because right now um, there are – if there's 114 school districts with FFA programs, there's 125 different sets of rules. And so the challenge is – uh, trying to put on a statewide event when you know most of the schools have district guidelines that say we don't have field trips and you can't leave the, the school district officially. So we wanted to continue to provide that opportunity if at all possible. So rather than cancel it, we kicked it down the road. Yes, that poses a problem because if you're on the west side in the spring, you're probably going to be standing in the mud puddle. But uh, 
<laughs> and other parts I, of the world, if you're not, if you're too early in the spring, you're still digging up ice. So well, I'll just uh, say, we'll see how it goes. We, we we go prepared to to uh, be in the snow. We wear our insulated coveralls regardless of what time of year it is. But and there are yeah, some. You guys are all stars when it comes to soils. You yeah. know what you're doing. Yeah, well, we we, we do pretty good, and yeah, you know you there do. are some there are some of these events that we have to have to be hands on. I think soils yeah. is one of yeah. them. So. Yeah, I think it's real. Honestly, we looked at what's the, the what's the possibility. What if we were to send the soil to the participant rather than bring the participant to the soil, and you know, did not dismiss it out of hand, but walked through the logistics of wait a minute, is it running it through the mail? Is it all going to get there at the same time? Does everybody have the same opportunity? Somebody's going to freeze. Somebody's going to be dry. It's, the texture is going to be different. And then what about the cost of shipping dirt? Yeah. <laughs> so um, some things are easier to move to a digital format than others. Soils is not one of them. And so we just hope that we can do something later on. Yeah, I think one of the biggest issues in our district is I believe we're the – well, us and I think maybe Crook County are the only people that are actually in person in school, right, Mr. Waldron? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think that probably would have been the biggest issue for us is just that we wouldn't really have a way to practice under the guise of FFA because I wouldn't you say that the school would probably get kind of iffy yeah. about that? Yeah, so I think the pandemic guidelines are probably a bigger issue for us than anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We and, and, and real honestly, we want people to be safe. We want people to be smart, wear their masks, stay apart, minimize the risk of, of, of transmission just so we can get back to normal. And whatever we do going forward, student safety is going to be paramount in any sort of uh, uh, planning of a statewide event. Yeah, which is a good thing. So I think that's pretty much going to wrap up our interview. Do you have anything else to add, Mr. Waldron? Okay. Do you have anything to add, Mr. Dooley? Well, it's been a pleasure, and uh, I would encourage people to uh, let their friends and neighbors know about your podcast because uh, it's uh, good information, and uh, I appreciate the chance joining to you today. Yeah, a lot of people don't they listen to this. They don't realize this is a student project. It's a it'd be a great communications SAE. I think you could do good, Justin. You just got to get your record book and your AAT up to date so you can submit it yeah, to the state level. Yeah, records will bite you, Justin. You I need know. to do that. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> But, uh, well, thank you for coming on the podcast, Mr. Dooley, and thank you for the work you've done in FFA, and I don't do it enough, but I also also want to thank you, Mr. Waldron, for the work you do for our chapter and FFA around the state. So you have been listening to another episode of the Cowboy Talk Podcast, the 20th episode of the Cowboy Talk Podcast. I have been your host, Justin Sharp, accompanied by co-host Chad Waldron. Once again, massive thank you to Mr. Dooley for coming on the podcast today, and we will be very glad to have you back in the future. You can find the Cowboy Talk podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Podbean. Please share the podcast on social media and tell all your friends to go listen to it, along with leaving a five-star review where possible. And that makes it to where basically more people can see it online organically, which means without being told or being sent to them. Once again, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week.